I'll be back. Chewie. We're home. Are you not entertained? My name is Bond. James Bond. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. My name is Anita Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. I see dead people. Is this city Alpha 5? You are a toy! I have no memory of this place. Welcome to Retake, Episode 6. And why, yes, that is a new theme you're hearing. I'm so glad you asked. Given the nature of this episode, um, it did seem like the right time to introduce some new theme music for Retake, so I've been slaving away, working at putting this together, finding the exact right piece of music, getting perfect movie clips and sound clips in there, and so uh, we are doing something a little different this time, and that's why we needed some theme music to tie it all together, because there wasn't one particular single movie or TV show that I could pull music from for the uh, intro and outro. So we are doing something a little different this time. As we're entering the new TV season for 2016, I decided to gather a few of us uh, for different segments of the show to talk about uh, favorite shows or, well, if they're not our favorites, at least the shows that we're watching this season to discuss what we like and what we don't like about the show, how we feel like the season beginning is shaping up, what our expectations are. And so in this episode of Retake, I'm going to chat with Eric Skull about the premiere of a new show called Frequency. I'm pretty excited about that one, and he is too. And it's based on the film of the same name. Uh, You may have heard of it. And then I'm joined by Alexis Johnson to discuss Gotham, the highs and lows that that show has offered us over the last couple of years. And then to cap off this episode, I'll be chatting with Gene Goswer, who was on our previous episode of Retake, chatting with me and Joe about Superman, the movie. And we're going to discuss Supergirl. Uh, and the move of that show to the CW, Clark Kent's appearance on the show, and much, much more. It's going to be an exciting episode, so without further ado, let's get right into it. Some things I never told you about my father. He was a bad man. They found his body in the East River two days after my eighth birthday. All my life I hated him for it. Leaving us for going back. Now I don't know what to think. Last night, I spoke to him. Hello? Hello? Hey. All right, in this segment, I got my ham radio out, and a very odd set of circumstances has allowed me to go back in time to communicate with a frequency fan, Eric Skull. How are you, Eric? Hey, TJ. So... Is this is this the me of now or is this the me of 1996? Because it's a little confusing, sort of like episode two, but um, <laughs> we'll we'll figure it out. I'm not sure. Um, so why don't you uh, just uh, do a, like a quick introduction of who you are and how people might know you, Eric? Uh, sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Eric Skull. Uh, you may have heard me on one of my two other long running podcasts. Uh, Mugglecast for Harry Potter fans, uh, and Game of Owns for Game of Thrones uh, fans. Those are the ones, uh, the podcasts that I've hosted the most, uh, but I've been uh, around the podcasting scene for about 11 years now, um, since Mugglecast started in 2005, and I'm very passionate about Harry Potter and uh, other Aren't we all? Things, yes, of <laughs> course, and, uh, and especially Frequency, the new CW series, very passionate about it. 
Okay, so, and then uh, fans of this show may know uh, that you were on an episode of CinemaScope, which uh, Chad Hopkins, he was a former host of mine on the Movie Byte podcast for 50 episodes or so, and um, and he started a new podcast called CinemaScope where you talked about Frequency. Frequency. The movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, so you uh, that's how kind of I thought, well, I should ask Eric to talk about the new TV show. Um, and spoiler alert, I haven't listened to um, the episode where you talked about, or I think there was, was it uh, something on CinemaScope? It was like a, a bonus episode or something where you talked about the TV show. Yes. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I haven't had time to listen to it and I hadn't started the show yet, so I didn't want to spoil it. And then I just haven't listened to that yet. I'm going to do that after we record this segment. So okay. research after the fact. Yes. That's the, that's the, <laughs> best kind of research actually objectively i think it's not but that's okay i won't i won't bore you <laughs> <laughs> well, who cares about objectivity um so uh yeah so you're a fan of frequency the movie now um i it's been a little while i liked the movie but it's been like my, my wife introduced it to me after we were married probably a couple years after we were married and uh, i was we were married in 2005 and um I, I I remember loving the movie, but I've only seen it the one time. So mm-hmm. you you can go ahead and hate on me if you want. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I wish but, I had like a sound uh, effect of hating. It's like yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so, don't worry about so, it. So uh, you're a fan of the of the movie. So how how now we're we're two episodes into Frequency, the TV show. Yeah. So how how do you like the TV show so far? I do. Uh, I really, really do, and there was a there was some apprehension going into well when I first even found out it was right around the time that uh, Chad and I recorded that that Cinescope episode uh, about frequency. It was announced or had been announced that they were remake or you know CW was bringing on a TV series that was based on the movie, and this was just mm. a movie that this was just a movie I loved when I was uh, I guess twelve or thirteen when it came out. Um, 12 or 13 when it came out and I just remember going to the theater really enjoying it uh you know afterwards on DVD it was maybe one of the first DVDs I bought first DVD I bought was the Matrix but I'm pretty sure it was like 5 or 6 was like frequency uh and I would watch the movie time and time again uh so I felt very protective about this uh y- you know story and to find <laughs> That's out how I feel about the new Star Trek movies yeah. actually <laughs> oh yeah well so exactly and there it's really not all that different so you know when it, when I found that the CW was was going to be doing a TV series I just thought this could go so wrong um but mm-hmm. but I think that my my surprise uh and a great deal of shock and awe uh for me has has occurred the last 2 weeks where I've I've been watching the episodes uh right after they air uh through the app or through the internet and um I, you know I found mm-hmm. the the show's actually good yes yes I just want to say that episode one blew me away. Like I, I couldn't believe just how good the episode was. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I've kind of had this, uh, I think I've talked about this before, but I don't remember where. So uh, audience, forgive me if, uh, if I have, and you've heard it a million times, but I kind of have this hole in my heart where fringe used to be. Um, and, oh, fringe. Uh, <laughs> yes. Cool. Um, I, I love that show and I was so sad that it was canceled and I felt like it was really just getting into some meat and potatoes of the show. Really just uh, and getting, the last or I won't question you well, about this. We'll I talk feel about like it. There was, <laughs> I feel like there was so much potential there and I feel like the last season I, I know there were some issues in the middle, but in the last season, like it really changed the game and did something really cool and I really like that. Anyway, so there's this there's this hole left in my heart where Fringe used to be, and I feel like maybe Frequency can step into it. It's not the same, like, but, but there's aspects that are the same. Like there's 
there's weird sciencey stuff going on and there's potential for good relationships and and strange relationships and oh are these people good are they bad I don't know I mean obviously we we kind of knew that that would be the case from the from the movie mm-hmm. but I like how they were also able to turn some things on its head like things that you you you, you know that they're going to have to do something to make it different from the movie and that also brings some a, a sense of trepidation but yet also I think they did it really well in episode 1 at least mm-hmm. um so I I'm I was really happy with episode 1 uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I want, one of the things that ha- that immediately though was a little frustrating was the music of the, of the show. As much as I loved what they did, in, um, in the first step, you mean in both episodes, oh. I, I feel like, I feel like they would be much better served by going more orchestral and staying away from pop music. Uh, I, I, I was going to say that I thought the music, uh, in episode two was an improvement over episode one. They just featured more of it. And for me, it's, you gotta understand like the, for me, it's, it's my childhood. So these are the, these are the songs that, <laughs> these are the songs that I would hear on the radio. Still can't quite name them, you know, but like okay. it, it takes me to that era. And, and, and so for, for that, I also just, I just plain like those songs that they're playing in that type of music. Okay. I, I, okay. Orchestral is great, and I, I will I, orchestral most often. I will prefer, um, you know, to to contemporary music. But I, I thought it was well well situated in, in bars and things to really, you know, be an aid to to setting the scene, and, and so the audience can connect, you know, to to you know what time what time frame they're watching. Um, yeah, the the, the the show is the show is really complicated, and I like how complicated it is it essentially um and i let me know if you agree um but the the first episode did really well at sort of setting up the stakes what you know what are the main events that occurred uh she's able to save her father's life um but then her mother is in danger right this was this was uh, taken from the movie as an as an arc adapted well you mentioned things turned on their head very very well done episode 2 i felt really uh and i was i was hoping it would but it really um, colored the world and and made the world a little deeper uh, of of the show. It kind of extended some some plot elements. It uh, went into Frank, you know, being able to now ha- he has to live with his crooked cop mates, uh, you know, a little bit more. And Raimi is continuing to investigate the circumstances that lead to her mother's eventual murder and and starting to interview subjects and, and suspects and all, all this you know kind of really felt cool to me and and it's almost as if and i i hate to be on the record as saying this but uh but i will anyway but like the movie it, it, this show and like how it's going to clearly play out over at least one season i hope even more um, really makes the movie seem like this quaint little, you know, <laughs> the, this quaint little B movie in the background that is just like such filled with such hope and such uh, because it, it really is a lot less uh, gritty, dramatic, you know. I think in comparison, but but the first movie is great. I, I think the movie is is I would even argue flawless. It is one of my favorites, which is why I was on Cinescope. But but the show is doing something really cool and different. Yeah, absolutely, and and I even like. Uh, I, I know I, I I'm sure I haven't seen it, but I'm sure there are opinions about this that vary. But I really like changing the character from male to female. Yeah. Like I think that really works well, and that's one of the great ways to differentiate it immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would agree with you. The episode one was really good. Like I've I've already said, I I, I just I was really drawn in, mm-hmm. uh, and surprisingly so. I, although I get maybe not too surprising because I was pretty fuzzy on the movie details at this point since I've I've seen it many years ago. Yeah. 
Um, so, so, and, and I, I thought about, well, should I watch the movie? Should I not watch the movie? And I decided not to watch the movie before the show because I felt like whatever details were similar to the movie would be so fuzzy that the show would feel more fresh to me. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what I've done. But even so, I was surprised at just how, how much it drew me in. Like there's some things that you see coming like, oh, obviously there's going to be a ham radio and there's going to be, you know, weird uh, weather phenomenon and shenanigans that, that cause strange sciencey stuff (laughs) in, in a a sci-fi sort of way. Um, so that, that's all cool. But episode two, I, I feel like I diverged from you a little. Mm-hmm. Um, episode two, I felt like had too much going on. I couldn't follow everything that was going on. Where episode one was very clear. I followed every thread, everything that was going on. I knew what was happening. I knew exactly what happened and what caused her mother to vanish from the timeline. And that all made sense. But in episode two, I can't quite tell you what the thread is that's binding that episode together. <laughs> it feels a little um, uh, haphazardly thrown together. Like we, It was almost like the writers were like, we've really got to up the ante and we've got to throw all this stuff and let's do this and this and this and this and this and this and oh, by the way, this. And I'm like, uh, slow down, guys. I can't keep up with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I feel the same way. I, but I, I, I will agree there are still certain moments where the characters go off and do something and it's only like a 60-second scene and that informs the rest of the episode. Like mm-hmm. um, like Frank, for instance, going off and, and, and speaking with, is it Little J, Easy J? Uh, you know, and, and that... But like Little J's death later is this short thing and you're just supposed to realize that now that the cops, you know, Frank's cop mates were, were able to prevent that uh, meeting, you know, essentially little Jay confessing and, and, and pointing to them as the source of the corruption, uh, you know, they were able to get it. And so Frank is able to, Frank just what, like comes home and has a beer, but like, it's all very choppy. Like it's all very choppily told. And like Julia then has the exposition. Oh, I heard little Jay got killed. They're, they're, um, they're shuffling around the exposition a lot. And like, even the moments where Satch in this episode is speaking, because Satch as a character is is the the great bridge um, between the two eras, because he can be talking to Raimi in the future as she's a cop twenty years later, and he can be talking to Frank as it's all going down. Great character, but like he also will get like the brunt of any kind of time differences, at least until Raimi lets Gordo in. Which honestly, Gordo's the victim in this episode. <laughs> um, Gordo in the in the second episode that that, that just aired last night. Uh, Gordo, it's it's unfortunate, but we see. I think the, I think the main idea of this episode was, um, you know, Raimi really trying to uh, decide who she's going to let in, and right. and Frank also deciding kind of what he wants now that he's been given extra life. Uh, so, so I think that, cause we saw him struggle with, you know, wanting to be a family man again and wanting to be, just be with his family, you know, cause he's been away for two years undercover. Um, and, and we saw Raimi just not letting anybody, uh, she gave zero craps about, uh, what anyone else wanted for her and, you know, was sort of taking matters into her own hands. She needs to learn. I think that there's a support structure, uh, for her in, in, in the future. And Frank needs to learn or actually convince everybody else that there's no support for them in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found myself pretty frustrated, um, with uh with the whole like he he's finally bringing his wife in um they're going to the ham radio and then she you know Raimi just doesn't respond like yeah. that that was a very frustrating scene 
and it's it's one of those things where I get frustrated with shows uh, and movies and stuff when it's like the entire situation could be resolved in the real world. It probably would be resolved because <laughs> you would talk or something like I know that misunderstandings happen and everything, but it's just like, come on, I, I, I don't know. And and but at the same time, th- those things can be useful plot devices. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I, I was like, I, w- I was so frustrated in this episode with Julie Sullivan like, come on, did you not understand what it meant for your husband to be undercover and now you're telling him to get out of the house, you can't come back? Like, the whole thing is just a very, it was very hard to watch in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll both see the um, unfortunate consequences of of Raimi not reaching out to her mom over the radio for the rest of the season. And, and, that, and that's really a shame. Like, I, I don't, you know, we know that Frank isn't crazy and the fact, it, it'll just hurt us to watch, you know, Julia think that he is or, you know, continue to play as if she thinks that he is all because Raimi didn't reach out to her mom. And, you know, right, right. her 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 uh, excuse, oh, it would have just been too weird or something, whatever she says to her dad in the, after commercial break uh, in the next scene to make up for it doesn't actually make up for it. Um, you know, if, if you if you're given this opportunity, I mean, that would have been all, all that it takes, but I think she's concerned about the butterfly effect. And actually that's one thing that I thought this episode did well. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to the film, um, you know, where you don't actually realize it in the film, but Jim Caviezel's character, John Sullivan has interviewed, uh, the parents of the deceased killer at the beginning of the film. And you get to see kind of their home life or, you know, through photos and, and, and pictures that they have of the young, uh, I'm trying to remember if his name is, uh, I just had it, Jack Shepard, uh, oddly enough, a, a lost reference there. Uh, although I don't think it was intentional because frequency was first. Um, you get to see young Jack Shepard, but that all changes is my point. So like she, uh, once they sort of figure out who the killer is and you go back to, the house, like the mom has died. It's like a very, and it's like, it's an entirely different interior. And so the show really, I think is evoking how the butterfly effect is really just trying to show. Um, and so Raimi's excuse kind of makes sense where it's like, well, if I told mom and if she believed me, then everything would be different. And this, that, the other thing, I think she's trying to reduce the amount of alternate universes that she creates by, I mean, not consciously, but you know what I'm saying? You get it. Yeah, yeah, no, I I completely agree, and that that is something that's interesting. Where you've, you've got the uh, the Back to the Future timeline diagram, right? And in, in Back mm-hmm. to the Future Two, where Doc explains a thing where see we split off because we went back here and we changed this thing and we split off this parallel timeline. Mm-hmm. And imagine that diagram, but with possibly hundreds of hundreds of splinters. Like that's that's what we're dealing with, mm-hmm. and we're creating a new parallel timeline every time. But it's all happening in real time. It, that's what's that's what's fascinating about this entire concept. Um, I want to talk about two things before we uh, before we wrap up this sure. segment. Uh, one thing is the casting. How how do we feel about the casting? Obviously, our our two primary uh, casting here is uh, Peyton List and Riley Smith, and and then I, I guess uh, probably Devin Kelly would be pretty primary as well. How, how do we feel about these guys? I, I I like the casting so far, and I'm not you know I I wasn't I wasn't completely sold on it, and there was a moment in the pilot where it was very weird, but. Uh, Frank says to Ramey over the radio, oh, you're 28, you're older than I am. Um, right. And I thought that was really, and, and so this whole time I was thinking that it was, you know, kind of weird casting. I'm, I guess I'm still not over the fact of, of how young her parents are, um, really. And, and there were many times in this episode, I won't lie, where I thought that 
Julia was played by the the Peyton List actress, uh, by by Raimi's actress, because they actually look and sound and act and behave quite similar. Yes. Well, interestingly, um, Devin Kelly and Peyton List are the same age. Um, and <laughs> there you go. It, that makes it really, really frustrating or like, like I feel like the makeup isn't quite getting it there when they're when you see her and her mother together in in current time. Like mm. they, it's you. Devin Kelly does not look old enough to be Peyton List's mother. Well, <laughs> and, just, the, and the trouble working. is, they have the gloss effect on it too because it's a memory, right? right? And that just kind yes. of I think mutes yes. out any kind of makeup. Uh, they they really should have gone Back to the Future, I think, with this and and just really put like layers of prosthetic plastic skin all over top of her but I, you know they they made a conscious decision which was to have the parents be pretty much as old as she is in, in present day mm-hmm. and that's yeah. it's not like that in the movie you have Dennis Quaid who's still I think you know 10, 10 odd years older um, maybe that's wrong but it, the fact that it's just pointed out and because it's in a more modern say 90s setting versus 60s setting you have a lot mm-hmm. you, you have the capability of, of seeing uh, you know cop Frank uh, as as somebody that was that just is very youthful and young versus I guess you know in the sixties you have sixty jobs you're a fight you're sixty jobs you're a firefighter you know it's for the right right city I, I think there's something that's very um, off putting about the youth of their parents and the other thing the fact that they've updated the timeline and it's only a twenty year difference too um, really changes things a little bit because. Not only were these times when you and I were both, you know, alive and younger and we can remember the 90s versus, you know, we can't remember the 60s. Um, Right. No, absolutely. But this this idea that like your parents were young once and I'm still kind of not over (laughs) over that like revelation with these characters. So not only do they get really young uh, actors to play the characters, but the characters themselves are very youthful and vibrant. And I'm not adjusting very well to how. I mean, what, today's 21-year-olds were born in 1995? Uh, oh, it's crazy. I, I don't even understand how that's possible. So it's just like, and, and, and you know, I remember where I was when I was 21, like enjoying my first uh, beer, Goose Island 312 at the Rockwell's Bar, like <laughs> nice. about a mile from here. But like 21 years, like it's a long time. So like these children, I don't know, they just age. It's possible for... Raimi uh, to be a cop, to be a decorated cop, if she's decorated, I'm not quite sure. Um, but, you know, for several years... And for her dad, who's like the same age to, to have been a cop, un, who was undercover for two years, has a family. It just shocks me. I guess more people are doing, more 20-year-olds, more people my age are doing more with their life than I am or have done so at this time when they reach this age. I just, I can't get over it. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, and and yeah, I could say a lot more about the makeup, but, but I, I think you've said everything that needs to be said. And and I, I do agree, too. Like The other thing that is interesting is I have a hard time – I don't remember this in the movie. I have a harder time differentiating the time periods uh, because they're so much closer and because, yeah, there's differences, but unless – Unless you're in a crowded setting and not everybody's looking at their iPhones, it's hard to tell exactly that you're in the the past sometimes. This is something that I I really wish the pilot episode had been maybe 20 minutes longer. Um, I did feel that the pilot episode, even though you say you could follow every little beat, I felt that it was kind of, especially towards the end, rushed a little bit in terms of the flooding of memories and kind of really coming up with what they could have done is really found a little bit more, uh, a couple more hooks or, or ways of telling uh, the time difference that occurred. Or or even if they had the 15 or 20 extra more minutes, 
spent time on showing you which characters were where um, because mm-hmm. it, it goes by really quickly in this episode. You're right. Um, even even Satch, like the you have to look and see that he is not gray uh, to realize sometimes that he's yeah. he's in an alley and it's 1996 um, versus it was it was a lot you know slower and a lot more uh, noticeable and hookable in the movie with Andre Brower's character um, and I think they did do like prosthetics over him there so maybe that's just yeah, the way yeah. they should have gone um, but yeah like the music cues they it isn't always spent they don't always uh, take the time that they need to kind of show and I think that what you need to do is you need to just come up with okay when this character's on screen it has to be this time frame uh, and just kind of follow the characters that way, but the plot at times can be fa- you know too fast for that, even. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, and then I said there was two things. So the other thing is just quickly, let's touch on how long do we think this show can sustain? Because oh, no. obviously it's based on a single movie uh, with a with a kind of an understandable plot. Now they're introducing some things into the plot to help carry us along. There's obviously going to be much more to solve in the past. I think they can sustain for a season that way. Do we think it can go beyond that? What, what what's your thoughts on that? I, uh, I'm not worried about them running out of like material cause of the, cause it's, it's, it's ultimately, I think it's freed itself from the confines of what the movie did. Um, mm-hmm. I love, uh, every time when there's a, a heartwarming moment, because that reminds me of how I feel about watching the film over and over again. Um, <laughs> but you know, for, uh, in this episode, um, you know, getting the commendation, I guess, and just being able to hold his daughter and all the, all the scenes with little Ramy in this episode were very, very touching. So I, I feel like because it's, it's grounded and it has this heart, it could potentially go for more seasons. But I think there was something very formulaic about, uh, giving Julia 11 weeks to live, uh, in the, in the, it was mentioned in the second episode. Oh, he abducts her like January 7th, whatever it's October 26th. That's 11 weeks. And there's, I presume 10 or 12 episodes of this season of the, of TV. So it, it felt very, to me, it felt like they were sort of, you know, conscribing. This is exactly how long, like this arc of the Nightingale killer will last this season it it didn't okay. seem to maybe maybe there'll be a you know it all has to do with whether or not they're renewed right so maybe they'll extend it and be like oh now she's killed eleven weeks after she was killed before uh, or something right, like that right. but, or or maybe they could say for season two Frank was killed at a different time yeah you know, yeah yeah the, I, I th- you know I think that then they've made the the mystery with the radio a lot less clear it isn't tied to a weather phenomena in the aurora borealis which is you know fleeting or due to the position of the, you know, has to go, they can essentially extend this out indefinitely. But I I think that a lot of what's going on, the the corruption in the police department and the Nightingale killer will probably and hopefully be resolved in season one. But I I would also like to see what the show becomes once those two, you know, are, 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 once those two plots are, are resolved. And, you know, I'd love to see... Because I think that this show has done really well by executing some of the strokes that the movie had in, in, in adaptation. That I would actually love to watch a series that can just keep the base elements of what the film was and go off in new directions. Um, so I, I'm, I would be intrigued if there's a season two. But I don't know and I haven't been paying attention to Nielsen ratings and who's been watching this show. Um, oh, so I don't Nielsen know the likeliness. Started. Yeah. Uh, what was that? 
Don't get me started on Nielsen ratings. Okay, gosh. well, well, do you know how well this show is being watched? I don't. I really don't. Okay. And, uh, I, the reason I said don't get me started, you have got me started. It's it's so frustrating because people aren't just watching in a way that Nielsen ratings yeah, make sense anymore. I figured that'd be your so, argument. I'm, I'm sure it's yeah, true. Yeah. Like, okay. But, like, I hope that this series uh, is successful. And Me too. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and I really feel... Um, that it's that it is something good, something new on TV. It has its issues. We talked briefly about, um, but I, I think that I think that it's really they've really got something here. And suddenly, whoever's idea it was to you know resurrect that film that no one remembers from two thousand, uh, except me, uh, you know, was was really a I think a good idea for for TV now. And hopefully, the time travel keeps people interested. Hopefully, the drama keeps people interested. And I don't know, I'd like to see it extend beyond season one, but I, I think at least if we get the first season, we're going to have something that uh, goes along really well with, um, you know, what what I consider to be good TV. Well, um, I, I, I'm, I hope my watching it hasn't jinxed it, because often my favorite TV shows that I start in season one get canceled <laughs> at the end of season one. Uh, you know, uh, Alcatraz, Firefly, you know, these sorts Oh, of so. <laughs> you watched Firefly when it was on? Yeah, I watched... I, um, actually, mm-hmm. actually, I didn't, but I would have if I had been, you know, aware of it and whatever. It was I a liked, different time in my life. But. I liked this show, actually, also about time travel. I'll bring it up real quickly, but it was called New Amsterdam. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember. Uh, it mm-hmm. was probably 2007 or so. I caught it when it was on. It was, I think, ABC. Um, Nikolai Koster-Waldo. Uh, was the the main character, and he played a guy at uh, John Amsterdam, uh, who was actually from the uh, Revolutionary War, um, and he was granted sort of eternal life, conditional on the idea that he would find a soulmate and become mortal. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that, but essentially, it was a police procedural. He's currently a cop. Uh, solving crimes, but the reason that he's able to solve crimes, much to the confusion of his partner, is because he has all this local knowledge that's 300 years old of New York. Um, But so, Mm -hmm. each episode was simultaneously about what was going on in the present, and what had happened to him at any particular era, uh, with any particular love interest, any particular occupation, because he was a carpenter, uh, as it turns out, a famous carpenter, uh, an artist, you know, all this other stuff, and it was a really cool show. It only ended up going for about eight episodes. You used to be able to get them on iTunes. Now you can't even do that. Um, but yeah, that was a series that I loved about, you know, and it, it got canceled after its first season. But Nikolai <laughs> later went on to be Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones, so I think that all worked. I think that nets out okay. Um, <laughs> him as the Kingslayer, I think that nets out okay. But still, New Amsterdam was a great show, and it was, I think, gone too soon. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen to frequency. I have high hopes. It's, it's, I think it's. I, I can't imagine it's not doing well because it's it just there's there's a lot there to chew on. So, I think that Agreed. brings us to a good place to kind of wrap up this segment uh, that went longer than I expected. Uh, talking about so frequency. sorry. Have you met me? No, no, I'm I, so sorry. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so uh, we'll 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 plan to revisit frequency at the end of the TV season and just talk about uh, how our expectations went, how things went, how things are shaping up, whether there's going to be a season two, all that sorts of stuff. But in the meantime, where can people uh, catch up with you? Uh, I think like Twitter or other places that you like to carry on conversations. Uh, yeah, best place to find me would actually be on Twitter. Um, my uh, handle is uh, Spielerman. S P I E L E R M A N, um, and that's uh, just most of uh, where I am currently. Perfect. 
Yeah, so we look forward to interacting with uh, anyone who would have more questions or want to engage us about frequency. Thanks so much for being on with me, Eric. It was a blast. TJ, thank you for having me. So this segment is filled with dark villains, many with mysterious powers, but I'm going to team up with another superhero to help fend them off. To talk about Gotham, I'm joined by Alexis Johnson. How are you, Alexis? Doing great. How are you? Uh, doing well. Long time no talk. I interacted with you some on Twitter, but uh, when we had you on an episode of the Movie Bite podcast back when that was a, a podcast that we did. Uh, so it's good to hear your voice again. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So uh, just just like uh, give us the 15 or 20 second version of, of uh, how people may or may not be aware of you and, and uh, who you are. Well, I really like conversing on Twitter. I'd say Twitter is the platform I use the most. So I'm on there a lot, uh, especially in the am writing com- community because I'm a writer. So you can find me there at, at Phoenician Rises is my handle. But yeah, I'm just... A little person who likes to hop from podcast to podcast talking about movies or writing for certain websites like Real World Theology and things like that. So okay, nice. that's a short version. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so you, you're a writer, so that's good. So you might have some opinions about uh, the writing in Gotham. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Gotham. We're talking about Gotham, and this, this uh, new TV season, we've started up uh, season three. So we've got two episodes of Gotham. Um, what is your general... I don't know. What's our consensus on Gotham? How do we feel about Gotham this far? Um, kind of tell me what you're, what you're thinking about Gotham so far. I thought there was three. I watched three. Uh, three seasons. Sorry. Oh. Uh, did I, say, I might have said episodes. I meant seasons. I'm just oh, like okay. in general, our general <laughs> thoughts of the whole yeah. show. Over, okay, overall, gotcha. the overarching show. Gotcha. Sorry. Um, no, I, I loved the first season of Gotham. And then the second one started out pretty well, but I felt like it severely dropped the ball the second half. And I was pretty darn disappointed mm. um, with how the story and the villains, everything just kind of flopped toward the end of that season and kind yes. of it built up to nothing. But I think this one, they're, they're trying to smooth that out. I can tell it's a lot better so far. So we'll see what happens as it goes on. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of have the same feelings. I, I was actually pleasantly surprised with Gotham season one. Mm-hmm. Like, because my, like, my first thought was, what, what possibly, like, what's going to be interesting about Gotham and the Gotham universe without Batman? Like, how does that even work? But when you think about it, it actually, I, I guess, makes some sort of sense because you have, um, uh, like like in order to have a crazy superhero like a, a a man who's a bat like he dresses up as a bat like how did you get there you have to have a sense of what happened like the the history in Gotham that might have gotten you there um mm-hmm. and i felt like Gotham was exceptionally well cast too like oh, um, yeah. you, you know uh Ben McKenzie as James Gordon is just like fantastic um i i love Harvey Bullock like a oh lot. yeah he's awesome he, he's he and, and it, he's sort of a subversive character in that you don't think you're going to like him. Right. You think that, oh, he's this kind of rogue guy and maybe he's going to turn out to be a bad guy. Like I literally thought for the first couple of episodes, like I feel like he could go like and be a bad guy somehow or, or just a bad cop or something. But but, he, you know, he turns out to be one of the most likable characters and, and you, you kind of you understand where he's coming from. And he's he's got this way of saying to James Gordon, you know, 
I'm, I, I do things that aren't quite right sometimes, but dude, you need to take a chill pill, you know? Like, I don't know. I really like Harvey Bullock. I do too. And I think in the first few episodes, they, he seems like someone you're not going to like. But once they showed a little bit of his backstory in, in season one, episode six, it was kind of a film noir, hard-boiled detective sort of thing. That was really cool. And mm-hmm. then just the mm-hmm. bromance between Jim and Harvey is probably one of my favorite things. I love their relationship and how they play off of each other. I, I really enjoy them. And yeah, Harvey is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So, um, yeah, so it, it definitely, initially, the show caught my interest. And I'd say most of season one continued to to have my interest. But like you say, season two, I, I feel like maybe if they'd cut out the kind of the sagging middle section or the later section and just mm-hmm. get more to the point, like maybe it would have benefited from being one of the Netflix shorter season things where they only do like 10 or 13 episodes or something. Yeah, I think so. It's long. Having the full, for a show like Gotham, it'd be better, like you said, if it was more like Daredevil or one of the Marvel's Defenders series that are shorter, 13 episodes, because it can really, it can really drag otherwise, which is what happened with the whole Hugo Strange storyline and the monsters and not really explaining what they are and you get this build up and then ends up by the end of the season, you don't really get a resolution at all. It's just, well, I guess see you in season three and you're kind of like, okay, but no, nothing got answered. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like they really, like like you said, they built up to nothing. And I think most of that was with Hugo Strange where they really teased and drew him out and said, oh, this is going to, he's going to be a big super villain. He's creating the villains that like, he's the big bad guy. And like, that just went nowhere. It just fell flat on its face. And you're like, what? Yeah, I agree. (laughs) So, so yeah, season, seasons one and two are a mixed bag, particularly season two. But, but even so, like, there's still some really good stuff that, I, that just keeps me coming back to Gotham. Now, my, uh, my wife and I started out watching it together, and she's given up on the show. She's like, you, you watch it. I'm, I'm not interested anymore. So it's the one show that I watch without her now. And I can understand where mm. she's coming from. But even so, like, I still love the performance of, uh, uh, Robin Lord Taylor as the penguin that he mm-hmm. I just like he is the best incarnation of the penguin I think that there has ever been uh, yeah and then there's Edward Nigma like uh, all these things just keep me coming back to the show and, and saying okay I know season two was a a little bit of a mess but I love the characters so much and I love what they're doing that I really hope they can clean it up that's exactly how I feel and it was actually I mean my husband introduced me to watching Gotham because at first I was kind of like you like I'm a little unsure about how they can use this or this whole storyline of Gotham but I, I really like that it's a show on its own, even without having Batman as a presence, it kind of makes you appreciate that world, Batman's world in Gotham a lot more. It's just, and it's different. It's its own take on it. It's very, it's really fascinating. But I think, yeah, this season's starting off at a pretty good start. I feel like it's got its pacing a little bit more even um, because they just rush through stuff. It was either rushing or halting in season two. (laughs) It's like, I love Mr. Freeze. He's like one of my favorite villains. If you've ever seen Batman, the animated series, like, oh, so good. And they just totally blew through his entire story. And we're like, well, I guess we're done with him and he doesn't come back. It was so disappointing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel a little better about season three so far. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, the, but, but I do have some concerns. Um, mm-hmm. So I just want to point those out really quickly. I feel like James Gordon is falling into a, a kind of a shtick as a character. He's becoming kind of a one-note, kind of a tiring character. 
I really love James Gordon, and I I don't know where this is going ultimately. Like I I don't know. He just feels like he's this like oh it's always about how James Gordon is a broken person and he's you know he can't get it together and he's got these now you know he because he's susceptible to these thoughts like the the um. Uh, Jervis Tetch can can kind of tap into that and make him suicidal. And like, mm-hmm. it's just this one note kind of a thing. I'm concerned about that. How, how do you feel about that? Well, I can see how you'd feel that way. I think it was good. I think he really, because last season, what happened to James was actually one of the deeper parts, I think, of the writing. It was just so sad and awful. <laughs> it was just really hard to watch sometimes. Yes. But I think by getting him to this sort of climax of with uh, Jervis Tech. Touch, touch. I can't even say what it right. Yeah, him bringing out these suicidal thoughts, this darkness, and kind of getting him to this climax of like, do I want to live or do I want to die? So he had to make that decision, you know. And I think now that that's happened and that he's made some peace with Lee a little bit, I think he will be able to move on and sort of get away from that one note roguish feeling that he's been in for a while. Yeah, I hope so. Well, one of the one of the interesting things I think that has been done um, is, you know, at, at least for someone who's more familiar with the more recent films, uh, you think of Barbara Keene, although she's never really been a character. You think of, of Barbara as James Gordon's wife. Like, so obviously mm-hmm. at, the, at the beginning of the show, you're thinking, oh, well, obviously this is just going to be an ongoing relationship and they're going to get married. And they really kind of turn that on its head. And I, I don't know if they'll some – they've made laid hints and they've got groundwork if they want to bring her back as a good character. I hope they don't. I um, hope they don't either. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, like, that's the sort of thing that they've – yeah. Well, it'd be really weird at this point. They'd have to make it strange. Like, oh, well, it was just something went wrong in her head and we fixed that now. And that'd just be a cop-out. Oh, um, huge cop-out. Yeah. So, so, so they've done been able to do stuff like that where they've just completely turned that relationship on its head, and now Barbara is one of the villains, and and that's that's something that's interesting. But I also I have this frustration of I feel like they did that, and now they don't know what to do with her, and she's yeah. just sort of there now, and and it's a little little like I what are they gonna do? I I don't know. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? How how would you as a writer solve this problem? Well, I know some people thought that they would just they would sort of flip it and make her Harley Quinn but I feel like Harley Mm. Quinn has to be the psychologist just because I feel like that sticks not only truer to canon but it's more it seems to flow more with a character who helps people with their psychosis therefore you know becoming psychotic herself or whatever but a lot of people have teased the idea that oh maybe she'll end up being Harley or something I think they'll probably do something like that where they'll they'll give her a, a larger role but i do enjoy crazy barbara evil barbara because she was so super boring with jim and i was like mm. i was really yeah. glad when lee came into the picture i mean i love morena she's awesome but oh yeah um yeah. i love their relationship just is so much better to me but <laughs> but i enjoy Agreed. i enjoy much, evil much barbara healthy. yeah she's fun so i think i think they should do more with her but i don't know yeah i don't know the easy solution for that myself that's interesting. I hadn't heard the Harley Quinn theory before. Maybe I don't get out on enough fan forums or something. I don't know. But um, <laughs> that, that is interesting. Now that you say that, I could see where that could definitely lead to, to that. Although that'd be weird because like Harley Quinn is a spin on the character's actual name, right? Something. Quinnette, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but but I could see definitely where that would lead. And I could see her being a good Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, and the whole evil Barbara shtick. But you're right. Like, but but. You know, you say that there is an issue because Harley Quinn is supposed to be a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, is that right? Or a psychologist? Yeah. I don't. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, and so, like, but 
you know, they could turn that on its head too and just make her crazy, I suppose. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then the other thing that this uh, turning things on its head has done, uh, it's been a mixed bag. Well, it's it's been mostly good, but one thing that I think that it did that was a little frustrating in season two was it gave us the Joker that was perfect and then took him away from oh, us. Oh, yeah. I was so <laughs> mad about Jerome. Everybody was so mad about Jerome. Oh, he was, he was, he was a Joker in the vein of... Um, like, like it was almost a perfect blend of the Mark Hamill Joker and, uh, and Heath Ledger's Joker. Like oh, it was yeah. that perfect. He just hit that note so perfectly. And like, how are they going to do that? Now I had a thought and I'd, I'd be interested to see what you think about this, Alexis, mm-hmm. is that, um, we brought other characters back to life, uh, AKA Fish Mooney. Mm-hmm. Um, could they bring him back to life? People have talked about that. And I think even the creators have talked about the possibility of Jerome coming back because he was, you know, he was taken down to Indian Hill as well. So he could have, I mean, they brought Mm -hmm. the Firefly girl, they revived her, um, different people. I think there's a high likelihood and he's probably, he could even be out there right now, you know, with the other monsters. So maybe people reacted so much. They're like, Oh man, but that actor, and he's so young too. He just nailed it. He was probably like in the short span of being the Joker. He was the best Joker I've seen in like, I maybe ever, I don't know. He was just really good. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's elements, uh, it's funny. There's elements of Heath. I mean, obviously Heath Ledger was the best Joker we had seen up to that point yeah but there's there's so many elements that i love of his performance but there's also so much i love about uh mark hamill's animated you know joker like there's just so much that i love about that too and i feel like like you say jerome brought both of those things that maybe it is the best performance of the joker we've ever seen Mm -hmm. um so i really i really hope there's a way to bring him back but maybe that maybe that'd be a cop-out i don't know because one of the things that that the the writers or I, I I read some interview or something where a writer or producer or something was saying well the the birth of the Joker is such a complex thing because he's such a complex character that we felt like maybe there were others and that were inspirational to the one that finally becomes the Joker like I I don't know I don't know yeah people have said I read that too so I'm not sure but it's just it's such a shame because Jerome was so awesome so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I yeah. think people are hoping that um, they'll use him again but we'll see I mean. I hope they find a way that's less cop outy, if that's an expression, <laughs> to do that. But I, I would love to see that actor again. He was so good. Well, I'm perfectly happy if they just throw away the idea that there can be others that come after this initial version of the Joker and just mm-hmm. bring him back to life. Like, and yeah. that might even explain, like, maybe in this version of Gotham, it explains how he gets this pale, weird look and the scars and everything. Like, oh, I yeah. Could, I could totally just go for that. That would be fine with me. Me too. I agree. So uh, I have some other notes about uh, season three, and feel free if you have any anything you want to talk about specifically about season three. Harvey Harvey Bullock remains the most likable character, you know, just mm-hmm. you know the one that I that probably the primary reason that keeps me coming back to Gotham. Bruce Wayne uh, has been a very mixed bag um, mm-hmm. in in the season so far. I, I I hope that maybe this season they can do something more with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's occasionally compelling, but mostly it's just like, it feels like he's in the show because Bruce Wayne has to be in Gotham, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that? Um, I kind of agree, kind of don't. I I thought in the beginning, I was kind of like unimpressed with Bruce Wayne and the idea of having him. It was just kind of like, yeah, whatever, I get it. But I, this actor, David Mazus, or I don't know how you say his last name, um, He's really, I mean, really grown and been impressive to me. And I was very impressed with 
the whole scene in season two when Galavan takes him because he's the son of Gotham and mm, has yes. to have the sacrifice. I thought he was really awesome in that. And I think his version of becoming Batman would be such a cool Batman because he has the darkness there and the kind of severity that you want, but also has more of a pure heart, I think, which is different than a lot of Bruce Wayne's we see before. They're not exactly what I'd call pure hearted sort of heroes. So it's just kind of, yeah, he is kind of a mixed bag as far as, but I think that's more the writing than Bruce Wayne's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the yeah. actor certainly, I think, is fine. I, and yeah. in fact, he's only gotten better as as time has gone on. And as yeah. he's, uh, we've obviously kind of seen him go through puberty and everything uh, as mm-hmm. an actor, which is, in, but it's, that's always an interesting. Like, what if I, I always think like, what if we cast somebody who, as he gets older, he just doesn't really work. Like that. That's but he, you know, so far, uh, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. So far, yeah. David has has been working just fine. So and and in fact, getting better. Mm-hmm. So that that's fine. So um, yeah, and and you're right. Like the stuff in season two, uh, with with uh, Silver Saint Cloud and stuff was all fantastic. Like and especially kind of the culminating scene for him and Silver. Where you know Silver is trying to play him, and and it just you know there, there's a certain, and this is going to be interesting too, because there's a certain pureness, a certain a lack of darkness in this current version of Bruce Wayne, and we've seen mm-hmm. some bits of it come out, but mostly he stayed a, a very pure character. And how do we get to the dark Batman? Or maybe Batman isn't dark in this version of Gotham. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't really go nearly as dark. I mean, we'll have to see. Well, I think there's definitely a big thing about Bruce being light you know, light in the darkness. And I think that he is dark though. He has, when it comes to his parents, that's where you've seen the darkness, the anger, the rage. So I think he'll always have a part of that. Um, But I also think there's a big emphasis on him being light and representing light. Even when he was in that scene where they were going to sacrifice him and he was all dressed in white and stuff. I think they kind of like to keep Bruce a hopeful character because everyone else is so dark. So it's kind of like a nice... Well, well, speaking of dark, I, I feel like at the beginning of this season, they probably when they cooked up the the storyline. Although I guess the elections were starting to get started, but when they cooked up the storyline of uh, Penguin and becoming the mayor mm-hmm. and doing the election with uh, oh, what's the other, what's the other character's name that had been the mayor before? Um, oh gosh, I, I can't. think. It's evading me. Yeah. Just mayor. Yeah, me too. But anyway, the the old mayor, like when they cooked up this storyline, this, you know, this crooked political thing, I'm sure they thought, oh, this will be, you know, and I I don't think they could have imagined how dark our current political season was going to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, Uh, yeah. It's like, oh, this is, this is small, this is small fry stuff compared to what we're dealing with now. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought too. I was like, I know they're making jabs at things, but it's actually like, I would vote for Penguin over either of our current candidates. I was like making a joke about that to my husband. So like, yeah, I was just like, that's kind of funny that this is Gotham, but to me, yeah, it doesn't feel as dark as what actually is happening. So it's I mean, and I've also thought like, what if, what if they make Penguin like have a turnaround as a character? They're, they're, they're sowing the seeds for that. And I feel like right now we're at this crossroads where we could go either way. Yeah. Like, Cause you've got Edward Digma who obviously I don't think he's going to be a good character at all. No, but he's got this thing where he's trying to help Penguin. And I think he's sincere in it. And he showed Penguin uh, the based on the current last episode, you know, that he showed Penguin, you know, you could win the people's hearts without all this deceit and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So we could go either way with Penguin, I think, where maybe in this universe he is, he can turn into a good character. Now, he always has a past. He's killed some people and he's done some bad things. So, so there has to be some sort of redemption there. But yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. How, what, what direction would you like to see this take? Well, I think I don't know if he'd ever be a good character as far as, you know, 
I think he'd lean more towards the villain side. I think for Penguin, it's a lot about power and control. He enjoys being like sort of the kingpin and having that because that's what he wanted from day one. I think he'll still strive for what he wants. He just might be less severe about it than he would have been climbing the ladders through the gangsters and stuff like he did in season one. I think I think there's a lot more to to him. He's not you know, strictly one way or the other. I just think ultimately he will choose power because that's what he wants. So, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's true. But I, I do like either way. I do like that. They're setting this up. Like he's a very complicated character and he has mm-hmm. a complicated past and he's had all this stuff. And and now the other thing that I like that they've done, even though I didn't care for all the storyline that led up to it is bringing fish Mooney back. Cause that was one of my big disappointments at the end of season one is like, well, Fish Mooney was such a great character. And oh, now she's, she's gone. great, yeah. <laughs> and now, now she's back, and 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 she's more complex than ever. And I feel like there's a lot of stuff there to mine, especially between her and Penguin, and kind of how that all interacts. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff they can do there. So I'm really, really happy to see that. Yeah, me too. I was glad because we were all pretty disappointed about her being dead. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the one the one remaining thing that I feel like has been faltering a little, and I suppose that they could fix it still, um, but it, it's the time is becoming uh, past for it because you know uh, it, it's it's Gordon and Lee's relationship, which I thought was super fantastic, and mm-hmm. I really loved it. Uh, and then like now Lee's with somebody else, and Gordon is like trying to move on, and I just I. I feel like maybe it was a mistake to do that or maybe they're going to try to bring it back together or maybe they're saying like, no, this is not going to be a thing because it wasn't a thing in, in in Gotham to begin with in the universe. And so at some point that the relationship has to end, which I hope that's not the reasoning they're doing this. No, me too. And actually, I talked about this with somebody else. I think they're I think they will come back together. I feel like they belong together just there's no indication otherwise for me that they don't belong together. I think there's something fishy about her being with Mario, who's the son of um, Carmine Falcone um, or Falcone or however you say his name. Right. Right. Um, he, that, that's already fishy. Cause that guy's a gangster and their dinner was yeah. like kind of awkward and tense, but also the timing of him coming to help her pick up the pieces of her life. Like how would he know to do that? You know what I mean? There, I feel mm-hmm. like there's something staged there. Definitely. And then also what James said to him when he was stitching him up in the ER or whatever, he's like, you know, if you ever hurt her, I'd have to hunt you down and kill you. And then he laughs. I think that's foreshadowing <laughs> for something that probably will end up happening. So yeah, I think, I think they're going to come back together. And I, it's pretty clear that she never stopped loving him at all, you know, obviously. And she's, even though she's in a new relationship, she remains open, you know, emotionally and cares about him, which I think is really cool. So I love them. I hope they'll get back together. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're pretty much out of time and we haven't even talked about how much I love like the look of Gotham and the way they've done it. I know that, you know, TV oh, yeah. is a smaller budget, but they've been able to pull it off really well. And I love like the depictions of Gotham. I love like the whole mix of you know, we don't care what time period we're in, and sometimes we're using cell phones, sometimes we're using old cars from the 80s, and it really doesn't matter because Gotham is, like, just Gotham. It just yeah. is what it is, and it's this dark place. I love the cavernous police headquarters, and just everything about the feel of the city is right. Oh, yeah, for me, too. It's so film noir, which is one of the things I love. Um, just very, the lighting is beautiful all the time. 
very intentional with the look and the lighting and the way it's supposed to feel. And yeah, the lack of who cares what time period, whatever is in it's classy. It looks awesome. So we're going to go with it. But for you, you can, yeah, you can believe it. Cause that's, that's part of the character of the city. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to revisiting Gotham at the end of the season and kind of figuring out what we got right and wrong and how we feel about the season when it's over and whether mm-hmm. we feel like it should have been a shorter season two or not. So, um, you know, that'll that'll be fun and we'll we'll revisit it when the time comes. So thank you so much for being here, Alexis. Uh, I love talking about Gotham and uh, it's a lot of fun. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, in this segment, I'm teaming up with mild-mannered reporter Gene Goswer to check in with, look, up in the sky, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's not. It's Supergirl. So we're going to check in with Supergirl. How's it going, Gene? It's going well. I've got my broad-rimmed glasses on, and I'm hunched over. I'm ready to assume the role. Perfect. The mild-mannered reporter role. Excellent. That's right. Well, you you joined me and Joe to talk about uh, one of our favorite Superman movies, the original Superman the movie. Indeed. So uh, so I'm excited now to talk about Supergirl with you. So we're going to spend uh, 10 or maybe 15 minutes just sort of uh, chatting about the new show, Supergirl. So why don't you uh, kick us off, Gene, and tell us kind of how you feel about, uh, about the new show, about Supergirl and, and what we're seeing. I really like what we're seeing. Um, I am, as I mentioned on the Superman episode that we did, I was a fan of the Smallville TV show. Mm -hmm. And so I started off watching Supergirl just by kind of comparing to what I already knew about the uh, TV serialized drama of Superman, which was on Smallville. I'm a little too uh, young for Lois and Clark, so that's Mm -hmm. what I had to compare it with. And, you know, on that show, there was a lot of um, uh, villain of the week type of drama for the first couple seasons. And there were moments in this show where it got into that some, but I thought it did a really nice job of tying a lot of the villains and certainly the overall season arc of the main villains into uh, where Supergirl comes from and giving her a a solid protagonist throughout, uh, or sorry, a solid antagonist throughout the whole season. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that really did a nice job of moving things forward for her and not coming into this stagnated view of just fighting a new villain each and every week. We got a few of that, you know, here and there, but it still did a nice job of establishing a kind of long-term view for the season. And I thought that really helped it out a lot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, um, did you ever watch uh, Supergirl, the um, the movie with Helen Slater? No, I didn't. Oh, <laughs> you're lucky. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not very good. It's not very good at all. Uh, and so, I, um, I, I guess, I actually was just reading a little bit ago that uh, Cara Danvers did make an appearance on... Uh, 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 what's that show you were just referencing that you watched? Uh, Smallville. Smallville, um, yes. Yes. So, uh, so that, that, yes. Uh, but I, I think that my understanding is this is, this is different. It's not, it's not kind of related to that at all. 
No, it's it's a pretty pretty new spin. I I'm not familiar with the entire lore of Supergirl in terms of how the comics introduce her, but this was mm-hmm. a a relatively new spin to what Smallville introduced. Yeah, yeah. So my understanding is that this incarnation of Supergirl, the the now the CW Network's uh, show, mm-hmm. um, it, it pretty much sticks in at least in origin to the the way that the comic book uh, does as well, with some twists. I mean, and obviously we've introduced a character from Superman, James Olsen, into uh, Supergirl. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I really love this show. I wasn't sure what to expect when I tuned in, but I figured why not? I'm watching all the superhero shows anyway, so I'll just, I'll throw Supergirl into the mix. And, uh, I mean, first up, I mean, just Melissa Benoist, I guess is how you say her name. Uh, she is a fantastic Supergirl. Like she, she, I think she is what they were going for in Supergirl, the movie with Helen Slater, which I'm not, I'm not knocking Helen Slater. I think the problem with that Supergirl movie was the script. Um, but, but here we have uh, a perfect Supergirl. Like she, she has this uh, bubbly personality that works well as Kara Danvers, but she also has the, I'm going to get it done, uh, you know, attitude of Supergirl. Uh, and, and also this, this kind of this fresh face and it goes along with at least the character we're seeing in the, in the show, which is she's learning even how to cope with her powers and how to be Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really, I really love the casting of, uh, Melissa Benoist here. I've never actually seen her in anything. I understand she was a regular on Glee for a while, which I don't watch. So, um, so I, I haven't seen her in anything else. I know her from Whiplash. That was my okay. favorite movie of 2014. Oh, was she, and- was she in Whiplash? Yes, she was. She was, she was. She was the girlfriend. She was the girlfriend. Oh. Her character's name was Nicole, and uh, she was the one that uh, that um, oh, I'm spacing on the main character's name now. But okay. uh, she she was the girlfriend of of our of our central character, and uh, mm. she. You know, I I'll, I'll admit when I learned that she was going to be Supergirl, I was hesitant. Uh, I wasn't on board right away. She kind of had to win me over, and she certainly did do that. I was worried she would have some trouble. Um, uh, portraying the power aspects of Supergirl, um, the assertiveness, because in Whiplash she's she's somewhat passive. Yes, and, yes, um, very much so. So, so, but she won me over. She definitely did. Um, I thought she, I think she has terrific range as a young actress, and uh, she does do an excellent job. It was very good, very well cast. Yeah, yeah, I would I would have to agree. Um, very very great choice by the the casting uh, director there. Um, yeah, so I oh man, I hadn't realized that uh, she was in Whiplash. I, I guess mm-hmm. I don't remember much about the girlfriend in Whiplash because uh, mostly, obviously, the conflict or or whatever you want to call it in Whiplash is between. Uh, Oh, I can't remember that that kid's name, and then uh, J.K. Simmons, obviously. Yeah, Miles Teller uh, is the actor. Uh, Miles Andrew, Teller, that's Andrew who it is, is yes. the character's yes. name. Yeah, she serves as more of a of a um, a prop by which uh, Andrew kind of decides which way he's going with his life. Uh, right. So yes. She, yes. she kind of gets the raw end of the deal. Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Whiplash, so I don't want to get into that here. Okay, let's let's okay. stick with Supergirl. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned uh, James Olsen, which yes. is another interesting casting choice uh, for a number of reasons, not I the least it. of which that we are demanded to call him James, right? It's a, yes. it's a whole yes. new spin on this Jimmy Olsen character. Yes, yes. He's not the kind of the fresh-faced, uh, I'm a, you know, just uh, hanging around a photographer trying to get a job. Uh, you know, this this is a very experienced reporter. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and a, a, photo, a photographic journalist, or a, a, what do they call it? A, is it a photographic journalist or something like that? Yeah, photo a photojournalist. Photo journalist. Yeah, and yeah. L- let's just say it. I mean, Jimmy Olsen is a skinny, typically short, white kid 
And right, this is right. a strong, assertive black man. He's got experience. He is friends with with uh, Kal-El. So he's got kind of an in there with, um, with uh, Kara. And uh, he kind of is her mentor in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. this t- it's i loved it because it's a total it's almost a flip on everything we knew about jimmy olsen from the past i, I really liked their choice yeah absolutely it, it it is an interesting choice and it turns out it's a really good one um and oh, yeah. I, I really love like like all uh somebody i was reading some reviews before the show here just to kind of refresh myself on various aspects of season one and somebody said you know all, all he has to do in the pilot is flash that smile and you know all of a sudden you love this character and and that's really true and, and obviously he's grown in a lot of ways on you but but he was an instantly likable casting choice mm-hmm. and one that you could easily see being kind of a oh well he's just sort of a fluffy character that has a smile mile but he's so much more than that as well like he's mm-hmm. he has some depth to him uh and and he works really well and, and i love kind of turning the canon on its head a little bit and casting a tall black man uh, in yeah. the short white man's role yeah. <laughs> you know or a short white kid uh and it works really well like obviously this is a more mature jimmy olsen than i think we've ever seen anywhere that i know of and yeah. uh it, you know, and, and, and this Jimmy Olsen, he he knows who Clark is as super – like, you know, we've never seen Jimmy Olsen know that Clark was Superman before. That's right. And obviously uh, in, in uh, season uh, two, episode one, we find out that uh, Lois knows who he is. And all, we don't see Lois, but we, we know by inference that she – like, so Superman now kind of has his inner circle the way we've seen Supergirl develop her inner circle. Mm-hmm. So um, these sorts of things I, I think are setting the show apart. We, we're in an established Superman universe, which I think was a great choice for the show yeah it certainly was i i like what they did in making um kara intended to be one who would protect kal-el as he ca- as he came to earth um and then ended up she ended up being the one who who kind of needed to be warmed up to everything on her own and kal-el ended up being her mentor and she had to be she had to take on a role that she was not expecting uh that was not intended for her so she had to do a lot of adjusting and i think like you said the the world or the universe is established superman is superman already and she has to figure out where she fits in now you know she she goes on this trip as a teenager you know her mother sends her from krypton and she has some expectations for what she's going to have to do and those are totally blown out the window she has to fit into some kind of role now that she wasn't expecting and right and I, I, I really like that twist i like that she was supposed to be kind of the the caretaker for kal-el and now she really can't be right yes yeah absolutely um, I also love that this show, uh, a, a lot like The Flash, a lot of the reasons I love The Flash are also some of the reasons I love this show because a lot of a lot of the superhero shows and movies are taking some dark twists, and this show is refreshing, refreshingly light. And I don't mm-hmm. mean light on subject matter or plot, but I mean in, as opposed to dark. Yes. Um, it's very light. Uh, it's it's uh, something that I'm watching with uh, all my all my kids. They can yes. watch it. Occasionally, my uh, three year old will come and run over to my lap and say, "Scared, scared," <laughs> uh, and she she's scared about some villain shooting some you know laser weapon or or whatever. But sure. all in all, it's it's a great show that my kids have really enjoyed, and they were super excited about the premiere of season two. And we all sat and watched it a couple of days ago, uh, and uh, it was great. It was uh, it's been really great that way. So so I really love uh, the contrast to the dismally dark, I'm going to say, Man of Steel, uh, and, and the, the killer that we've turned Superman into there. And, and here we have this optimism and this positivity and just this, uh, this great show, you know, that, that just 
it's a joy to watch. It's not one of those shows where, like, kind of, at least many times last season, Arrow would be uh, coming out, and I'd be ready to watch Arrow. I'd be like, ah, oh, I have to watch Arrow tonight. Oh, man, it's, it's going to be so <laughs> it's it's so chore. dark. and Yeah, it's almost a chore. And we're, th- this season hasn't been so bad with Arrow. But, but um, you know, but it, at the same time, you know, when I was dealing with that with Arrow last season, then there's Flash and Supergirl, which are like, oh, yes, I, I, I want to watch this. I want to go and sit down and just have fun with the show. Right. Right. I'm glad you brought up that contrast, especially with respect to Arrow, because I I have three kids. They are eight. Uh, My oldest is he's a boy. And then I have two girls, six and three. So there there are two things that strike me about Supergirl. The first thing being that um, my girls, to whatever degree they're interested in the show, they're going to grow up with a show for however long it lasts as well. That shows a very strong sisterly bond between Kara and Alex Danvers. Yes, and yes. I think that is so cool that that they're going to have that to look at, and my six year old mm-hmm. I'm sure is going to remember more of it. Um, but they're excited to see the show in general. Um, even my son, when when I told him Supergirl is starting a new season, he got all excited, and I was excited too because I feel comfortable in letting them watch the show. I don't I don't feel like I need to always have you know, my guard up for what they're going to say, what type of yeah, yeah. Uh, innuendos are going to be there, and is my is my now second grader going to catch on to any of these? Uh, whereas with a show like Arrow, like you said, that's that's all over almost every episode. And plus the dark tone, now I don't feel too comfortable in letting my young kids watch Arrow, but with Supergirl and, and maybe to... A, a certain degree flash as well, I feel totally fine with them. It's a show that I can have fun watching with them and they can, they can see good fight evil once a week. And my, my daughters can see a strong sisterly bond and, and the love they share with one another. And it can be a really good example for them. Yeah, absolutely. That and that's exactly the way I feel about Supergirl, especially. And the flash, I let my two older kids watch. They are 10 and uh, seven and uh, they watched the uh, with us. And and the frustrating thing that happened uh, last season was there was a crossover between Flash and Arrow, where mm-hmm. part the first the first part of the crossover, if I have this right, happened on the Flash. But then it moved over, and the the next episode was the episode of Arrow, yeah. where it continued. And it's like, well, I have to let them watch this one episode of Arrow, I guess. And so we did, and it was just such a darker tone and everything just didn't, and I was like, ah, oh, I just, yeah, I, oh definitely. man, that was such a weird mesh. And I, I know they're going to do a big four-way crossover this season with Flash, Supergirl, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow. So that's going to be interesting right. to see how that works out. So tell me this, do you think that Supergirl moving over to CW is going to bring it into that type of, that same level of tone? Because it's certainly well, there in Arrow and we see it occasionally in Flash. We do see it occasionally in Flash, but I, that's, I was, that's what I was about to point out is the Flash is a CW show and it is a much lighter show. Right. And after watching episode one of season two, where it's now on the CW, I only have one concern and it's not related to the tone of the show. Maybe that'll change, uh, okay. but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, my, my one con- my, the one thing, I, in fact, I tweeted my, my disappointment with uh, this one aspect of season two, episode one, uh, a couple of days ago or yesterday, whenever it was. And I said, does the CW decree that stable relationships cannot happen on their shows? <laughs> oh, because amen. 
<laughs> the first Goodness. thing they did was they axed the the relationship between uh, Kara and Jimmy that they had established at the end of the previous season. And they just completely said – in fact, the way they got out of it was Kara said – well, because you remember in the last season, Kara is saying or, – or Kara has been promoted to this nebulous position and she has to choose what she wants to be. And uh, so that's kind of the whole thrust of the first episode. Uh-huh. And all that's causing trouble between her and Jimmy. And so she finally tells Jimmy, well, I don't know what I want in life and I think that we can't have this relationship right now. So, hmm. so I think the CW must be decreeing no yeah. stable relationships on our shows. That is the only conclusion I can come to. Yeah, this <laughs> this is one of the few reasons that I decided to stop watching Arrow. I just got so sick of the bouncing around. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm gonna, I'm going to talk about this with uh, with uh, the person that I have selected to review Arrow with in the next episode of Retake. But suffice it to say that I have these frustrations with Arrow also. Yeah, there. <laughs> so, so yes. Um, so the, my other my overall things with this show, uh, obviously, I really like this show. Very positive about it, but I have just some minor quibbles, and it's related to this uh, relationship thing, which is that at least for a while, there's this kind of three way, even maybe four way romance entanglement thing going on with mm-hmm. Lucy and Jimmy and Wynn and Kara, and I don't. And any time that was a thing, that wasn't really doing the show any favors. Yeah, I think especially when Lucy was brought in, I thought it really yes. bogged it down. I didn't mind it so much with with uh, Wynn and uh, James and Kara. I thought that was at times it was kind of cute. Uh, yes. At times it was kind of you know you felt bad for Wynn, but you could kind of see the writing on the wall. That you know Kara's going to be with with James, um, and I so I didn't mind that too much. Uh, but I did feel like when Lucy came on, um, they were kind of. I felt like they were kind of trying to force the issue to force a wedge where it didn't need to be um, in order to make the uh, the tension between characters greater uh, when they could have used some some other kind of relationship to to better establish that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, the the win thing wasn't too bad. I think they pushed it too far. Like, like they they milked the, that scenario too long, and they should have just let it go and be over with it. But it felt like for a, for like three or four episodes, like she, she wasn't even hardly ta- uh, Kara and Win were hardly talking to each other just because things got so awkward and tense. Yeah, and and, they, and you know, Win and Win tried to force that kiss, and then things went bad. And it's just like, ah, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, poor guy. And yeah, and and honestly, I wish either that they had let let it be. A, James and Kara relationship or just not even a, a touch the relationship stuff like why do we even have to have that necessarily is that is is romance required for this story I don't I don't think it is so right. that, that those are my feelings on on that um, I wanted to talk a little bit now I know you haven't actually watched the first episode yet because you had some uh, DVR troubles I did switching um, networks messed me up yeah, but I do want to talk about the first episode a little and my mixed feelings on the appearance of Superman. Okay, good. I was going to ask you about that. So I think that he's well cast. Um, this is a really good version of Clark and Superman. It works really well. Uh, okay. He doesn't feel like he's just been brought in to appease a storyline. Uh, the casting seems uh, pretty good. It's been made pretty apparent that he's going to be around at least for many ep- a few episodes. Okay. Uh, at the same time, it doesn't feel like he's taking over the show. Um, and he was a little more prominent in episode one maybe than he'll be in the others, I would expect. Um, but it's it's still very much Kara's story, and that's good. My mixed feelings are thus um, – he it was it was pretty weird. It got pretty weird last season, I think, where they kept referencing him and we would see red boots out of focus and and all this stuff. 
but we would never see him. And, and it was almost like he became a jerk because he wouldn't even stick around to talk to Kara. And he kind of <laughs> swooped in and, and took care of things. And uh, that one episode where he swooped in and, and saved Kara and then just left, like, I felt like that was really bad writing. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, we, there was, must have been an edict. Like, we have to include Superman somehow, but we don't, we haven't cast him yet and we can't show him. Like, uh, that was just really weird. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah. I, I do see what you're saying, and that was my concern that that Superman's presence on the show would begin to overshadow Supergirl, and it would become more of a hybrid show than than a show about her. But I'm glad to hear that at, at least right now that doesn't appear to be the case. And and I certainly see, you know, in the first one or two episodes, there was a number of references to Kal El. You know, he's her cousin. Uh, he's kind of flying in. Uh, James references him quite a few times. And I, I kind of forgave them of that because I felt like, okay, this is this is the in for most of the audience. They're interested in Superman. Now we need to know why we're interested in Supergirl. And that was kind of how they got that ball rolling. Yeah. So I kind of forgave them of that. And then it when it continued so much, um, it was kind of like, yeah, okay, we get it. Um, we know he's out there too. Now let's let's see what she does. Yeah, yeah. So, but but if you're gonna have if you're gonna have Superman, you're gonna have to cast him at some point. And so mm-hmm. it was either drop all references to him or cast him. And so they chose the route of casting him. And and that's fine. I think that's fine as long as he doesn't take over the show. As long as we realize it's Kara's story, and if, as right. long as we realize he doesn't even have to be in a quarter of the episodes this season. If he can just be in a couple, that's fine. I think that's totally fine. We've established now we've made it a thing. She's in a different city, but they can, they can see each other once in a while. And and he's her cousin. That's totally fine. I'm happy with that. And, uh, you know, my, my other concern is that this has been a great show about Kara and, and it has passed the, the Bechdel test, I think a number of times. Are you familiar with this test? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, I, I think the show has passed that a number of times, even in just the conversations between Kara and her, uh, her adoptive sister right. about defeating enemies. I think, I think on that alone, we've passed that test a number of times. And I, as long as, as long as we stay in that territory, I think it'll be fine. I, that that's kind of where I'm at right now. Good. So I'm hopeful. Good. My my only other thing that I would bring up in terms of things that I've uh, had concerns with or just have 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 scratched my head with a little on the show is occasionally the CGI feels pretty cheap, especially when you're bringing in uh, John Jones. Yeah, uh, that yeah. can be pretty cheap feeling and uh, a little frustrating. And I, I feel like the show deserves better than than what it's been getting. Yeah, I would agree there, especially when he's talking and the, and the working with the movement of his mouth that definitely feels very 20 years ago. Well, actually to me, it feels more 10 years ago or, or, or eight years ago, just when CGI was really coming to prominence, but it feels like it's from that era. It's like, we can do better now, guys. What's, what's going on. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that's, that's been frustrating. Um, I, I do want to mention quickly, uh, Kat Grant. Um, she is a character that has, she starts out, you not, you're not sure what her deal is and whether she's going to be a uh, villain or, or, or not uh, villain, not, not villain, villain's the wrong word, but whether she's going to be like an antagonistic character. Mm-hmm. And she quickly establishes herself as somebody who is, there's way more to her than meets the eye at first. Like there, there's a lot of depth there that she tries to, almost like she tries to hide it. <laughs> and, yeah. but, but you get to know her and there's something there. Um, even to the point where it's, you know, Kara's in jeopardy of, of her learning the truth about Supergirl and who she is. Uh, and she has to employ tactics from John Jones, <laughs> yeah. uh, basically duplicating her in order to hide that truth from, uh, 
Cat Grant because she's very sharp. And and in, in addition, she she has some complications in her relationship with her son, and these things this makes her a much deeper and richer character than I was expecting. Yeah, you know the the. The relationship with her son, I actually didn't really like that. I thought they could have accomplished um, having her come across as more caring than she lets on without adding in that that kind of extra extra baggage because it came and went. I mean, it was like two episodes and it was gone. And we really never got any other reference back to it much at all. Yeah, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. This is is one of the the, uh, chances that the show takes. I mean, we've talked about how Jimmy is now a strong, assertive black man. Uh, The show is about a female uh, hero. So this is another one of those um, things that the show is trying to kind of not necessarily break the mold, but kind of try to strike out on its own, have this stereotypical, to some degree, woman in leadership who... Uh, maybe feels like, or she actually is, just this tough of nail, tough as nails woman. And but we'll have every maybe five or six episodes where we do get underneath that hard exterior, and she kind of reveals some of her true character. And the storyline with her son did accomplish some of that. We did soften up to her a little bit, but I think we were doing that anyways with the moments that she had with with Kara, and especially at the end when she. Uh, gave Kara her own position and uh, kind of revealed to her that, you know, she she's she's proud of her and she thinks that she can do some great things and she's giving giving her some freedom. That was kind of some uh, grin and bear it sort of kindness that uh, she employed there towards her, but it really I think it really warmed her up to to people. So I think I think it was um, I, I don't like the storyline with her son, but I I think that it accomplished some kindness with her in other ways that, uh, that we didn't need that storyline. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I actually, I like the storyline. I, I hope we get more of that. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. that'll help you. Maybe fleshing that out more will help you. Cause it sounds like some of your issues were the fact that it came and it went like, and then no more references to it. Yeah. I just need something to, for it not to feel so forced, I guess is my thing. Cause it felt like, okay, he's here to show the audience how nice she can be or how much she actually does love people. Um, yeah. And okay, <laughs> what else? Uh, it just didn't feel too fulfilling for me. Okay, uh, yeah, I get that. Now, what's your feeling? At some point, Cat Grant has to learn the truth about Kara, right? Don't don't you yeah, think? Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, you'd think yeah. so. I I think she'll have to be led into the circle at some point. But but if that happens, it's almost like her job at Catco is is done. Maybe I I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, either that or she she just begins to um, become more of an influential journalist. So she, she's she's kind of shaping, you know, she could be the, the lowest lane version of this kind of this world here with Supergirl. She's getting the interviews and she kind of already is. But yeah, yeah. If, she, if she knows then who it is, now she's telling stories from a different angle or a different slant, uh, maybe helping people become uh, more warm to Supergirl if she does something in the future that people aren't too thrilled with. So uh, they, they could work with it, certainly, without, um, without her having to quit her job. Yeah, maybe so. We'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I would mention is the inclusion of Helen Slater as Kara's mother and Dean Kane as her uh, adoptive father. Uh, both are, are great. I, uh, those are wonderful. Like They kind of did the same thing in The Flash with uh, yeah. uh, the – what's his name? The original Flash yep. uh, in that old TV series. Yeah, so I don't that, recall that's, his name, but yeah, they, that was cool that they did that. Yeah, those are always fun things to do, so I, I enjoyed that a lot. 
Uh, Gene, it's been really fun talking with you about this. Uh, if people want to keep up the conversation, where can they do that at? Well, I'm on Twitter at uh, Wizard of Gaz. That's Wizard with no A. And I edit and write for realworldtheology.com, and I'm occasionally on podcasts there. And I'm also on a Christian apologetics and worldview podcast called aclearlens.org. You can look us up on iTunes or any other podcast catchers, uh, A Clear Lens. And uh, that's about all the places I'm at. Perfect. Thank you so much, Gene. Thank you, TJ. Well, that's going to wrap us up for episode six of Retake. Thanks so much for listening. This is the first of two installments that we're going to be doing on the 2016 TV season, so I hope you'll tune in for the next one as well. Throughout the rest of this week, I'm going to be assembling a few folks to talk about The Flash, Arrow, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, if you'd like to follow me or catch up with me or continue the conversation about these TV shows that we discussed, you can reach out to me on Twitter. That's the best place to chat with me. I am TJ Draper Pro there on Twitter. Also, be sure to rate and or review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Your support in that way really helps the show. So until next time, thanks for listening. I hope to catch you talking about more TV in Episode 7.